God blessed us with with Charles Wesley with his his lyrics. So as we sing this song, and can it be that I should gain? I think what he's saying here when he says, and can it be that I should gain? I think he's he's expressing absolute absolutely he's absolutely stunned. He's absolutely surprised and amazed that he could gain an interest in the Savior's blood. That somehow he, who was such a vile sinner, could could be saved by the blood and love the blood of Christ. And as you sing these lyrics, think about them. Died he for me who caused his pain? I caused his pain, but he died for me. For me, who him to death pursued, I, it was me. It was I that pursued him to death because of my sin that he died, yet he died for me. Died he for me? So think about these lyrics as you sing them tonight. And let's sing all three verses of, And can it be that I should gain?
Arise, my soul, arise. Uh, just before we sing this, <clears throat> short story, Charles Wesley did not only believe that the Lord had saved him, he also wanted the Lord to save other people. And he went to the lowest of the low. He went to the prisons. And he would not only go to the prisons where there were petty criminals, but he went to the men on death row. And he preached to the men on death row. And um, on one occasion, he, when they had a cart full of men who were on death row, leading them down a street in London to take them, to hang them publicly, he rode in the cart with them. And there was one of those men in the cart, a black man, the story goes, that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he was led up to the gallows, he looked at Wesley and he, he had a look of confidence and peace because he knew that what Mr. Wesley had told him from the Word of God was true, was sure, that he was saved. And when you come to, um, oh, verse number, this is different. The verse numbers are different than the one we have in the Chinese service. And I just preached on this the other day. You know what? I'm thinking of, and can it be in another hymnal? So. Can you want this one? That's okay. Oh, yes. 266. Okay. So that story actually goes with the right, with, and can it be that I should came. And did we sing that about, I woke the dungeon flame with light? Did we sing that part? I don't think so. Is that in our hymnal? Yeah. That verse our, is not in our hymnal. Our hymnal has a chorus instead of oh, okay. the... Yes, right. Uh, right. Yeah. Everyone has like... Right. Okay. So, I'm all confused because it's not in the song we just sang that should be there. But the song we just sang actually has a line, has a verse, a stanza that says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. I, uh, my chains fell off. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And I think that maybe he had that, that story and the experience of going into those prisons and those dungeons where the light of the gospel came in and set men free. They were bound in chains and had to pay for their crimes, and yet they were free in Christ. Well, arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. Also has that same idea, that we are not, we are not bound by the shackles and chains of our sin because of someone there. So let's sing verses 1, 2, 4, and 5. And when we come to, let's actually let's make sure that it has all those in this, because I'm actually looking at a different hymnal. And for those of you that can read music, don't pay attention to the tune in our blue hymnal, because it's different than the tune that we sing. They are the same, good. When we come to verse 5, and when it says, I am, I now am reconciled. Oh, that's right, it's good, it's, it's correct in this book, very good. So we'll sing, I now am reconciled in verse 5. Instead of my God is reconciled, God doesn't need to be reconciled. We need to be reconciled to God. So we will sing it this way. I now am 
reconcile. One, two, four, and five. One, two, four, and five of Psalms last week, and we are going to continue the book of Psalms because we're shifting from Revelation to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms. You remember that the book of Psalms is about human life, life on earth, earth, real life, real events, real things that happen, and so it addresses the things of the heart, and so it teaches us to, as Wiersbe says, to have a personal relationship with God, and as we tell Him our hurts and our needs, and as we meditate on His greatness and glory, and that is the book of Psalms. And so I was heading to the, the fact that the Psalms emphasizes God above all else, above the circumstances of life, and so uh, He is faithful. Psalm 16, verse number 8. Psalm 16, verse number 8, and I'm going to use this verse tonight to do some teaching from Psalm 16, verse number 8. 
And so it says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Verse number nine. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Now you want to see verse number nine where it says, my heart is glad. Now, uh, the result of knowing that God is faithful is this. What is it about the Lord is faithful? The first point about the Psalms is that God is faithful. And because he is faithful, what is affected by the reality that God is faithful? Look at verse number nine. Now, when you read your Bible, you want to know what it says. Look at the words. And then you think, what is it saying? And so he says, because the Lord is always before me, verse number eight, verse number nine, therefore, because of the fact that he is always with me, it affects something. What does it affect? What does it affect? Verse number nine is the answer to the question, what does it affect? Remember, when you read the Bible, look at what the words say and think, what is the intent of the writer of the Psalm? He says, I have set the Lord always before me. Truth, God is faithful. Because of that, verse number nine, therefore, because of that, because of verse number eight, therefore my heart is glad. What is affected because God is faithful? My heart is glad. And that is what is affected. The heart is affected. The heart is affected. Therefore, my heart is glad. A glad heart is the results of knowing and believing that God is at your side. The heart is affected. What is the heart? What is the heart? Now, when you read the Bible and when you study the Bible, and you take it for what it says, it makes you think about different things. When we think about the heart, he says the heart is affected, the heart is glad. And so what is the heart is a logical question. What is the heart? Is it the muscle that pumps blood into your body? That is the heart, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about your physical heart. He's talking about the heart. The heart is tied to something. The heart is tied to something. I'm gonna use this to illustrate the heart and it is tied to something it's tied to this and it's found in verse number 9 the heart is affected and it's tied to your emotions your heart is affected when you realize that the Bible says that God is with you your heart is affected by that because this is therefore my heart is glad. And so the heart is tied to, the heart is tied to feelings. The will is tied to feelings. It, the heart is tied to your desires and your emotions. And the spiritual part of a man is tied to the heart. Oh, he's got a good heart. What does that mean? Oh, he's got a bad heart. What does that mean? Well, it means that the, the, real mer the real person has a way about him that reflects what's inside of him. And so you want to know, first of all, that the heart is affected by the truth that God is always before you. And he says, therefore, my heart is glad. Now, think about this one verse, Acts chapter 13 and verse number 22. It says, David was a man after God's own heart. Well, wait a minute. David, King David, was a man after God's own heart? Well... The heart of God 
his desires, his will, his emotions, what he would like to see done, what he is like. David's heart is like God's heart. He's tied to that. Uh, he's a man after God's own heart. David did love the Lord, and he didn't want to obey him. He often failed, of course, like anybody would. But the heart is connected to feelings and to emotions and the will. Now turn to Mark chapter 7 in your New Testament. Mark chapter 7. And verse number 21. The heart is affected by the truth that God is with you. Mark 7. Now I'm speaking about the heart because it mentions the heart. So some truth about the heart. Mark 7 verse 21. For, with, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds, proceed something. What comes out of the heart of man, according to this verse? Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from the government, comes from movies, comes from entertainment. No, you find these things in the movie, in government, in people, but it doesn't come through external source. It comes from where? From within, it says. From What is within? Well, within a man is the physical heart. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the emotional part, the part that decides, the part that thinks, the part of a man that is making up his composition as man, his choices is affected by his heart. And so he comes within, and then it says, verse 23, defile the man. So here's what you learn so far about the heart. The heart, everybody has a heart. Not everybody's heart is good. And the heart of man, if it is under control of his flesh or influenced by the devil, the heart will do evil things like these things over here. Everybody has the same kind of heart. A saved man, a lost man, we each have a heart that has the potential to do these things. What is the difference? Well, the heart has to be under control, and the word is control. The heart has to be under control. If the heart is not under control, then these things that he talks about in Mark will take place. What is in a man comes out of a man. And man's natural tendency, if he lets his heart control him, or if he does not control his heart, he would do these things. He would not do all of these things, but he would do things that are wrong things. The human heart will naturally do wrong things unless it is under control. We'll talk about that in just a second. So it has been under control. This is all leading me, coming from the truth that verse number nine says, the heart is affected by knowing that God is with us. So now I'm gonna talk about the heart. This is how you learn the Bible. You're reading it, not intending to teach about certain things, but as you come across certain words, it leads you to, to try to, to examine the word and see how these things are connected to what it's connected to in its context, but it takes you to all kinds of different things. So one word, one word, the heart uh, is going to all different directions. 
because you're going to get a broad-based description about the heart, what is it like when it's out of control, when it's under control. Then the next question is, well, what is to control the heart? And so all of these things are coming out from just looking at the Bible. All right, so the heart is tied to the natural man. It is tied to the flesh. It's tied to uh, just being alive. And if it's uncontrolled, if it's not restrained, it will produce the things that Mark talks about, in, Jesus talks about in Mark. These things can potentially come about. Now, when I say that a man could be saved or lost, these things come out of his heart, it is absolutely true. A Christian man who does not control of his heart will do bad things. An unsaved man who has the control of his heart will do bad things too. Did you know that sometimes Christians no matter who they are, they have the potential to do as bad as an unsaved man. Right. Now you would think that a Christian man, he would never do certain things. But since the kids are not here, I can say words that are for the mature audience, for adults. Do you know that a man can commit in his mind evil thoughts in his heart? He can commit adulterous fornications. How many times have people who are Christians um, get into all kinds of devilment because they don't have control of their heart. How many times do Christian businessmen embezzle money, cheat the employers, cheat customers? How many times has a so-called Christian um, politician done very unchristian things? How many Christian athletes give a testament before a big game and then that very same night after the game, they commit all kinds of sins like fornication or adulteries? I will never forget one time at a Super Bowl, a member of the Atlanta Falcons football team gave a testimony, just like I said, and then that very same week, Chris, um, Super Bowl week, it's a, it's a party atmosphere, and this guy got all wrapped up with the, um, the events and the excitement and everything else too, and he did all kinds of sins. Later on, he came out. He professed to be a Christian. Now, let's assume that he was a Christian. But he did some things because his heart was not under control. Do you know that you better be careful not to condemn people who do bad things because your heart has the potential to do the very same things. You got to be careful not to be so judgmental about people because you have the same kind of heart. So out of that heart proceeds these things. How many Christian, Christian businessmen have you known to be covetous? How many Christians have stolen things? Verse number 22. And have been deceitful. How many Christians have an evil eye? How many have pride, foolishness? The list is not very kind. The list is very like that. This is the Bible's view of the human heart. And if you're wise, you will know that the heart is affected by certain things that stimulates it. And the heart in the song is glad because the Lord is with him. He's glad, he's happy, he's emotionally stimulated that God is with me his countenance shows it and so the heart must be under control and if it's not bad things happen that'll be something to really avoid now I want to tell you and caution you just because the heart can do bad things it doesn't mean that it often will just because the potential is there to do sin it doesn't mean that the heart or the person will do sin but it is a fact that that's a potential now look at me, I've been married 45 years. I have always had the potential to be unfaithful to my wife because I have a heart 
that is prone to be wrong like anybody else's heart. Uh, my wife, you would never think that she would have a tendency to be unfaithful to me, but the potential is there. But why has it never happened? Why has it never happened? Why, by the grace of God, do we say it'll never happen? Because the heart is under control. The heart's under control. I will tell you what it has to be under control by, and you can do it too. So do you understand that the heart is glad, the heart is affected, therefore my heart is glad, which leads us to think now to teach about the heart. Uh, are you following so far? Are we on the same page? I hope on the same page because this is good truth to know from the Bible. All right. Um, how, how do you control the heart? How do you control your heart? How do you control someone else's heart? Well, fact number one, you cannot control anybody else's heart. You cannot make someone have a controlled heart. You can scold a child. You can punish an adult. You can put him in prison. But you cannot control his heart. You can control his behavior. What his hand does, you can control that. You can control where his feet goes, but you must control the inside, but nobody can. So it's not a problem, it's just a reality to understand that you and I cannot control people, but the heart has to be under control. Look at Galatians chapter five. The heart rejoices, is glad, but the heart has to be under control. Let's see what the Bible says, what has to control the heart. Galatians chapter 5. And we'll come to verse number 16. Now follow along in your Bible. Chapter 5 of Galatians and verse number 16. But if you bite and devour one another, well, that'd be very difficult if you bite someone and devour one another physically, literally. That's not what he's talking about. But it'd be just as hurtful with your mouth, it like is biting someone and chewing them up and eating them, devouring them. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. You're gonna just, destroy another person by what you say. Verse 16, this I say, walk in the spirit and ye shall, the next word is not, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, well that's good to know. It doesn't, it is saying, if you walk in the spirit, you will not do the things that your heart wants to do naturally. The heart can be under control. You should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17, for all the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if you're led of the spirit, ye are also, uh, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Now you have a list here kind of like in what Mark says, what the Lord said in Mark. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying. Oh, what a list. Murders, drunkenness, 
revelings and such like, meaning, and other things, all the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is just the opposite. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, you have here the possibility of a man's heart being under control by the Holy Spirit. And if it is, then his behavior and his actions, his thinking, the, the emotions of his heart is quite different from a man who has no control. So because that is true, because that is true, the, the things that we see in our society and the things that we see in people that are wrong and evil and very wicked in many cases, it's not because of the environment, it's not because they were raised in the ghettos, it's not because they were spoiled. Now all of these things are factors, but the real problem is, Jesus said, these things come from the inside, the inside of man, and that's the real problem. And the inside of man has to be under control, and for the Christian, by the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, turn to Galatians again, chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, toward the end of verse, uh, chapter 2, verse number 20, 220. All right, so the, the Christian's heart can be under control by the Holy Spirit, but then the Christian has to be responsible. Verse number 20. Verse number 20 says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So crucifying of yourself. Crucifixion, of course, is death. And so he says, you must die to self. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. Every day I die. Every day I wake up, I step into my coffin, so to speak. And Paul is explaining this. For a man to have control over his heart, he must have to let the Holy Spirit control him. Number two, for a man to have control of his heart, he must die daily. He must daily give up and ask God to help him to not obey the flesh. He must ask the Lord each day to help him obey the Spirit of God. So these are the conditions uh, of the heart. And the condition of the heart is that it is glad because of the reality that God is always with him. And then the heart under control is a blessing. The heart out of control, not under control, is a real curse. Why do you think men do evil? It's because of the only evil hearts. Now, I like to read, I like to look at things and learn about different things, different cultures. Do you know that Hitler was a very evil man? We know that already. Do you know that Mussolini is a very evil Italian dictator? You know that Joseph Stalin was a very evil man too? You know that one man killed more people than Stalin and Hitler combined? One man killed more than Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler combined. This man killed millions, over 40 million people in Asia. Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan was a very evil man. And there's many different records about him and because there's some unknown factors and the sources sometimes are hard to be harmonized. What we do see from history about Genghis Khan as an example of an evil man, 
is that he was so evil that he would not blink or even flinch when it came to killing other humans. Very evil man. Did you know, and that's why I'm glad the kids are not here, that Geng Genghis Khan would conquer castles and high-walled cities because he would take people that tried to escape from him and he'd use them as human shields. As they would approach a castle, castles would have several layers of defense. And as they would approach the castle, you'd have lines of people, one, two, three, four, lined up like that, all in the big row. So row number one, and it's all a mass of people. And they would go ahead and all the defense, the arrows, the spears, the boiling oil, everything that would come their way would fall upon those helpless poor people in front of Genghis Khan's army. They would suffer death and they would walk over these corpses to overcome and get into the castles. Well, nothing about that. You know that one time Genghis Khan, uh, before the Black Death came into Europe, it came to Asia first. And then uh, some of Genghis Khan's uh, in, his, in his world in Mongolia and so on, when they got that disease, um, they would launch them into, into castles or catapults with the idea that these infected bodies would get into the castle and would then infect because of the people handling them would infect them as well. And in a sense, what you had was germ warfare, catapulting corpses over the castle walls. Now, who would come up with that kind of idea? An evil heart. Have you been up to, oh, Genghis Khan also do this to deal with his uh, enemies. He'd roll them up in a rug, roll them up in a rug on, on, the, on the field and have horses trample over the bodies while they're alive. You know what that's called? Cruelty, wickedness. And they would just cheer when people screamed until they had no more breath in them. Who would think of these kind of things except people who have a bad heart? And this is what happens when people have no control of their hearts ultimately. There are people in this world, in our world, in 2022, that are so vile and evil, if God didn't hold it back in his ways, they would do horrible things to Americans and to the other peoples of this world to have control, to have power. And so we look at history, you look at these dictators, you look at some of the dictators in Africa, they're horribly wicked people. They don't care about human life, they don't care about women or children, they care about them being in power to have control. That's a wicked man's heart with no control. The heart has to be under control. Now we're not there, we're not back in Genghis Khan's time or Hitler's time, thank God for that. We weren't born back in those days, we are born in this time. We have a different kind of evil around us, but the same kind of evil. And if evil is to be restrained, you're gonna to have to have people, first of all, they have to have something to constrain them. Now, unfortunately, not everybody will become a Christian. And then, not everyone who is a Christian will be under control. They will not submit to the Holy Spirit. They are not crucified the flesh. Therefore, they still have the potential of wicked things. So, what, what do you do with that kind of a situation? What do you do? Well, you're gonna to have to trust God to keep you safe and trust God to keep, keep the, it's like a dam. It's like a dam holding back a lot of water and dams have little outlets to let the water come out. It's under control. 
but then holds back billions of tons of water behind it. Now, that's the Holy Spirit in this time. He holds back the evil from becoming all out 100%. The Holy Spirit is holding back evil right now. So can you see, this is a lake. This is a dam that created the lake. And then below is the river. And the, the dam is keeping back billions of tons of water. But if there's a break in the dam, sometimes it happens. Then the water just comes rushing out. It destroys all that's gonna be on lower ground. It's very deadly, very dangerous. When the rapture takes place, you know who leaves this world? The restrainer, the Holy Spirit, because he lives in us, the believer. And when we're raptured, the dam, in a sense, is taken up, and all evil is going to come right down in this world, in the tribulation. So, what I'm telling you is that the heart has to be under control. We cannot control anybody else's heart. Whose heart can you have a say-so on? Whose heart can be controlled? Your heart. Your heart can be controlled. Don't try to control someone else's heart until you learn to control your own heart. Don't try to fix someone else's problem until you fix your own problem. Don't tell someone you ought to be, you ought not to do that when you yourself should take care of your own problems first. Fair enough, fair enough, thank you very much. All right, so uh, the heart is glad. The condition of the heart is seen in the countenance. Now what is countenance? If you go back to Psalm chapter 16, verse number, uh, nine, my heart is glad, my flesh rejoiceth, uh, my, and my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also rests in hope. Uh, you have here that the heart is happy, and how is it seen that the heart is happy? How is it manifest that the heart is happy? Look at Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15, not too far away. Proverbs 15 and verse number 13. 15, 13. No Proverbs. The condition of the heart can be seen on the face. 1513 says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. A cheerful countenance. Now you have to understand what a, what a countenance is. What is a countenance? A countenance is the expression on your face. It's facial expression. Countenance is your face, it's expression. Now you can tell what may be in a person's heart by his facial expression. He does say here in Proverbs 15, a merry heart, a merry heart. If you would say a happy heart, okay, we'll take that too. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. In other words, a happy heart is seen on the outside on the face. It's not seen on the hands, it's seen on the face. When you see someone who is happy on the inside, you know that that person is happy because of their eyes, their, their little expression of pleasantness, happiness. You can tell someone is pleased about something. Now, if you won the Michigan State Lottery, you got $850 million, how, how is your expression? How is your countenance? Okay, let's not use that example. Let's say you Okay, now your car, my car, AC two weeks, gonna find out if there's something really serious wrong with that. In two weeks time, I'm gonna find out what's happening. I'll be, my confidence will show what I'm feeling on the inside. 
Uh, Mr. Ting, uh, you know, you really don't have a leak. It's because of this. And so we don't have to replace this. We don't have to replace that. So you're good to go. What's my face going to say? My face is going to say what's in my heart. My heart is saying, wow, it's not going to cost me $1,500. I'm not going to be doing this. Oh, no. I want you to take my $1,500 I don't have. Take it, take it, take it. I'm not going to be saying that. I'll be saying, really? You're not joking, are you, Mr. Mechanic? You're telling me the truth? It's just it's just that. Some, yeah, that's just that. I say, well, thank you. <laughs> you see it on my face. That's the countenance. That's the countenance. So the countenance works both ways. One, if you're happy on the inside, it shows on the outside. But if you're not happy on the inside, it also shows on the outside. <sighs> I had to spank one of the boys young boys that wooden spoon and that boy was asking for it that boy was asking for it and he did something he knew he should not do but he kept pushing it it's Samuel uh, not Samuel but um, uh, what is his name it's not Ethan it's the one below Ethan and not Jonathan, um, Benjamin, Benjamin. He climbs up the stairs when he's not supposed to. And he shows up, he, he comes up like this, he comes in there like this, like, here I am. And I'll get up there and I'll say, I point to him with a stern face. I say, don't come up until grandma says come up. And he'll, he'll slide back down backwards. And then sometimes he'll come up and he'll go, it's almost like he's doing this. Da, 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 here I am. What are you going to do about that? I said, Benjamin, I'll get the spoon. You know what he does? He gets on his knee. He quickly slides back down, backwards, all to the bottom. And I said, you better go back down. You're going to spank him. And then one time he came up, and he's walking around, sucking his thumb, very happy, like he's supposed to be there. I got the spoon, thought one, I said, and I came to him. He did this. I just spanked him on his leg. I said, I told you not to come up. Come up when you are told to come up. He went back down. And next time, see, at the bottom of the stairs, he'll begin to climb up, and I hear him squealing. I look at him, he goes away. He's learned the lesson now, see, of obedience. Now, he knows that when he's under control, he doesn't get a spanking. People are out of control, in our human adult world, they get worse than spanking. It's called jail, jail time. It's called prison time. It's called other things, other forms of punishment. And so uh, he's not very happy. It shows on his face. He's happiest when it's time for a snack. He's still got to put his high chair. Grandma says, Benjamin, time for a snack. You know what he does? He begins to walk real fast to the high chair. Wants to climb to the high chair. You can tell he's happy inside by his face. You can tell he's sad because we say, that's all. Ladies and gentlemen, the countenance is the expression on your face, which is a reflection of the inside. The heart is happy, the heart is merry, and it is shown on the outside. Now, at midnight, Paul and Silas were singing songs and praising God, but they had been whipped. They've been, they're chained. 
at the ankles. Maybe the chain at the wrist with each other. They got stripes in their back. Blood has dried on the shirt. It's uncomfortable. And yet they're singing songs and praising God. Their expression on their face showed that in their heart, they were married, even though the circumstances were not very happy. But on their face, they're singing and praising God. I can imagine them breaking a smile, even though their circumstance was pretty bad. It is very possible that a Christian can have bad circumstances, still his confidence shows that he's got joy in his heart. It's very possible. Proverbs 15, 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. That's a good verse to know. The days that we go through could be affliction. But he that is of a merry heart, if his heart is joyful on the inside because of Jesus Christ, if his heart is joyful, regardless of his circumstances, he has a continual feast. He is feasting on happiness that the world doesn't know about. The world says, what are you sad before? They will charge you for that job. What are you happy for? They can hardly fix your house. You still got a roof leak. And all these things are legitimate complaints. But still yet, the Christian is joyful in his heart. And so, regardless of his circumstances. Now, circumstances may not be merry, but the heart can be glad. Which is something that you will experience when you grow up as a Christian. When you mature as a Christian, you will not be so small in the bad circumstances. I will tell you this, that working with kids is a real blessing because you learn about human nature and you learn about yourself. Kids make excuses when they can't do something well. They blame other people. They blame their siblings when they can't do something equally as well. When they can't function or perform like you asked them to, they come up with excuses. Oh, my feet got blisters. Why can't you run faster? I'm tired. How come it's time to watch the um, um, Roy Rogers or um, the Lone Ranger? You run up the stairs. You're never tired then. Time to get up. Are you tired? Yeah. Go back to sleep. Okay. Five minutes later, wide awake. What's that all about? So when, when, when kids don't want to do something, they make excuses so they act like they're sick. When it's time to eat pizza, nobody's sick. It's time to go to the park, nobody's sick, everybody's healthy. Time to go to church, they're always late. Time to go to the park, waiting for you. Come on, Grandpa, come on, Grandpa, waiting for you, Grandpa. Oh, is that right? Why is it every time to go to the park, you're always ahead of time, it's time to go do some chores, you're always late. Isn't that funny how human nature is? Excuses. But even though circumstances are not so good, the heart, the heart is also glad and has a continued feast. Sorrowful heart. Look at Proverbs 15, 13 again. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Now, as much as the first part of that verse is true, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, that's Proverbs 17. Proverbs 15 tells us, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continued feast. That part is true, but the other part is also true. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. A broken heart is going to be seen on the outside, on the face. 
It's going to be seen. Everything's going to come out on the front. Right here. It's going to come up and show up. What's wrong with him? Why do you say that? Look at his face. What's wrong with her? Well, you ask me that. What's wrong with her? Look at her face. You can tell something's going on because of the face. Now, sometimes a sorrowful heart makes your spirit broken. In the military, it's called low morale. In sports, it's called they don't have any more morale. Morale is that invisible thing that goes with a group of men. If they feel enthusiastic, they think they can win the game even though they're behind, they have high morale. Maybe something that the team captain says or the coach says, it gets them excited. If they feel in their heart that there's a chance we can win. We're behind by 500 touchdowns, there's a chance we can win. They feel like there's a chance. They're not down in morale, they're excited. They think that they can. It's like we're facing Goliath, but just like David Goliath, there's a chance we can win. And then sometimes when the morale is low, for whatever the factors, you can tell somebody, all right, go over there and uh, uh, defeat that giant or do this job. They do this. They know they should do it, but they got no enthusiasm because in their heart, they don't believe they can get it done. So they are low in morale. Their spirit is broken. And so when you break a person's spirit, you, you hurt their heart on the inside. You discourage them so much, they are despondent. They're not quite depressed, but they're despondent. They are feeling like, what's the use? That's how they feel in the heart. It shows in the face. Oh, there's a chance, there's a chance, there's a chance, there's a chance, there's a chance. You see it in the face. You see it in their eyes. The heart. The, as the heart pumps blood into your body, the heart is what drives your spirit, your soul, your directions, your desires, your drive to, to live for Christ. It's affected by your heart. Proverbs 23, 26, no wonder God, look at this verse, please. Uh, no wonder the Proverbs say this verse. No wonder God has this verse in Proverbs chapter 23. Because the heart is so critical to your Christian life and so fundamentally take care of the heart, this is why this verse is here. Proverbs 23 and verse 26. Think when you read this verse. My son, give me thine heart. Notice what he does not ask. My son, give me thine heart. Think what he does not ask. My son, give me, give me your heart. My son, give me your heart. Come here, give me your heart. Give me your heart. What is he not asking for? If you can find out what he's not asking for, you know why he's saying, give me your heart. Let's think. Why is it saying, give me your heart? What is he not asking for? What is he not asking for? My son, give me your... What is he not asking for? Give me your stuff. He's not asking for the stuff that you have in your room. My son, give me your the keys to the car. He's not asking for that. Although that would be pretty harsh for a, a boy to have his keys taken away from his car. He's not saying, my son, give me your money. He's not asking for that. My son, give me your career plans. He's not asking for that. My son, give me your skills, your abilities, your talents. Give that to me. He's not asking for that. What is he asking for? My son, give me your brains. 
He's not asking for that. Give me your intellect. He's not asking for that. What is he asking for? I'm making a point by dragging this out. He's asking for one thing. Because if he gets that one thing, he's got all the other things he's not asking for. He says, give me your... If he gets that, he gets your stuff, your dreams, your desires, he gets your talent, he gets it all. He gets all of it if he gets your heart. Um, it's like, it's, it's like a big box with all of the important things to you in this big box and you, you protect it. And God is saying, give me the box. He didn't ask you for the individual things in the box. He's saying, give me the box. Because if he gets the box, he gets all the contents of the box. If he says, give me the, the password for your bank account. He didn't ask you for your money. But if he gets the password to your bank account, he gets everything in the bank account. He's asking for your heart. If you give me a heart, he's, he's, he's going to get all of you. So, I want you to think about something else. When he says, give me a heart, it's not like this. Would you please give me a heart? Would you please give me a heart? He's not like that. Would you, oh, I wish you'd give me a heart. Please give me a heart. That's not the kind of way he's asking for your heart. Give me your heart. My son, my son, my son, give me thine heart. It's more like that. It's more of a demand, more than a request. Give me. There's no question mark here. Um, would you give me your heart? Can I borrow your keys for the car? Can I borrow? It's not like that. It's not a question. It's a, it's a demand. My son, give me thine heart. You know why he's demanding your heart? There's only one reason why, and there's other supplementary reasons why he's asking for your heart, which is more like a demand. Give me your heart. Why is he demanding your heart? And why should he get your heart? Is that someone's gut? <laughs> is that the bean somebody ate? <laughs> why is God demanding your heart? It's because he deserves it. It's because he's your savior. He's your Lord. Give me. Oh, boy. Let's, let me talk about that for just a second. My son, give me. Give me your. What is what is your one and only heart? Give me a heart. It's a demand. Give me a heart because I'm your God. I'm your Lord. Give me a heart. Just give it to me. And then he gets all of you. But then we resist giving him our heart. Because here's how we think. Tell me if I'm right. We demand people to give us something but we don't want to give God what he demands of us right. we say to people hey I I deserve free tuition give it to me we expect it we demand it hey you did not say that word right you used the wrong pronoun we're going to cancel you too bad 
I demand that. We demand a lot of things. We ask a lot of things. We demand a lot of things. We want people to give us what we want or what they want. And what I want, I deserve. Uh, we want something for nothing. We want benefits without earning them. We want minimum wage of $25, $30. Try that. See what happens. It's because we deserve it. And I am I'm privileged because of my skin color. And I deserve special treatment because I'm a certain kind of a person. Well, we deserve justice because this is America. It's our way to deserve, to expect justice of our presence. And so we're going to go after Trump relentlessly. But we won't go after other presidents who did far more evil, far more lawbreaking than he did, supposedly. And we as a society, we don't get what we demand. We cancel, we bring you down, we get violent. We demand it. Why is it that people demand things and they get it and then they're happy and then they demand more things? When God demands of something from us like our heart, we resist it. But we expect people to give in to our demands. How unfair is that? It doesn't make sense, does it? We gotta think about this. Uh, people who demand of people other things because they have a right to demand it, they expect it, or else. And yet when God says, give me your heart, we say, no way. I'm not gonna give you my heart, it's my heart. It's almost like women who get pregnant and then they say, oh no, no, I don't want this baby. I don't want this baby. This is not a, a plan, I don't want this baby. I'm gonna go to the abortion clinic and, and have it. They won't use the word murder or kill. I'll just take care of the problem. I'll just take care of the problem. See, I expect to, to have a normal life without this hindrance that's growing in my body. I didn't plan this, you know, so uh, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be responsible and, and just get rid of this, this thing growing in me. They demand it and the doctors give it to them. Well, God says, give me your heart. He demands it. The only difference is, and it's a major difference, it is God who's asking for it not any man and it is only God who requires that only God who expects to get it and only God who should get it but the the benefit and the blessing is when you give God your heart does he make you unhappy sometimes it, it turns out to be unhappiness for a little while but sometimes there's got to be some pain before there's some joy in the end but basically I will tell you that people give their hearts to the Lord they are the ones who are the quote winners and the ones who are the happiest. Moses gave his heart to the Lord, choose, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses made up his mind, I'm gonna give God my heart. And Moses was a great leader of the Hebrew people. Jesus Christ himself said this. He fell on his face and prayed saying, "Oh my father, if it be possible that this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You know what that was? He gave God his heart. He didn't want to go to the cross as a man, but he gave up what he wanted because his heart was already given over to God, his Father. So, the heart. What is affected by the know knowing that the Lord is with us? Well, the heart is affected. The heart is glad. Back to Psalm 16, verse 8, and we are about through. Went to a big circle here, which was at the intent. Therefore, my heart is glad. And because the Lord is with us, my heart is glad. Therefore, we got into the heart. What is it? The heart. How evil can it be? Very evil. The heart. How good can it be? Very good. What's the factor? It has been the control. Two things to control us. The Holy Spirit. And number two, dying to the flesh. 
those two things, if they take place either together or one at a time, then the heart will be more surrendered to God. And he says, give me a heart as a demand. Give it to me. Now, uh, one last thought about giving and demanding. If you, if you um, have a mortgage or if you pay rent or if you don't own a car or any big ticket item, you make monthly payments. Usually nowadays it's automatic uh, withdrawal, auto payment from your account. Therefore, the institution gets your money automatically without, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot the million, it, it's in the mail. Yeah, right. No, they don't depend on you writing a check anymore or calling you, save all that expense and personnel. We just sign up on the agreement. Okay, uh, how would you like to make payments? Auto payment? You make auto payments, this, this much less every year, whatever. And you say, okay, sure. And so they get your account number. Every month, they will automatically deduct some amount for whatever you agreed to for this big ticket item, car or refrigerator, whatever it is. They're sure to get their money. Now, when they do that to you, or when you pay your HECO bill, um, and let's say you don't pay your HECO bill, you say to yourself one month, you know, they, they cut up the coal over here, and so now prices are gonna go up, and I, don't, I resent them taking and, and making us pay more for electricity, and I resent all these things. I'm not gonna pay it. Try that with HECO. Tell HECO you're not gonna pay your electric bill for the month of November. Try that, see what happens. What will happen to you? What will he could do to you if you don't pay your your bill for use, using electricity for the month of uh, November? Well, the, maybe the first week of December, you get a statement that says, okay, your bill and your water is used and all that was this much. And you say to us, I'm not gonna pay it. I resent them raising, I resent this is not right. Okay, fine, fine. Now, you don't pay it, there's a grace period but if you go past the grace period, you might get another letter saying, ah, uh, you're past you. Now they're not gonna, they're not gonna cut it off. They warn you first before they cut off your electricity, okay? They're not gonna just throw you out. December comes, you don't pay for November. December comes, December goes. You haven't paid for November, December. Now you might get a phone call, oh, Mr. So-and-so, Miss So-and-so, uh, I see that, whatever. You might get an email, you might, whatever. You get, you get notifications and all these kind of things. You say, I resent them doing that. I'm not gonna pay it. January rolls around, New Year. Happy New Year, Happy New Year. Then there's another letter from you and then you still use electricity for December. You own now for November, December. You're not gonna pay for January. And uh, now you've got three months behind and that little $200 a month now is $600 plus. And you say, I'm not gonna pay that. And then pretty soon you turn on the stove and don't turn on. All of a sudden, the refrigerator, you open it, the bulb is out. You say, hey, how come all the ice is melting in my freezer? And whatever else. And you call them and say, hey, 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 I got no power. Send somebody out to fix this. And they say, I'm sorry, Mr. So-and-so, but you are, you are, you have not paid for three months. We've sent you letters, we've called you, you haven't returned our calls, you haven't paid. Until you pay a certain amount or you pay it in full, we'll keep the power turned off, whatever. Now, I'm not sure exactly how they would do it, but it, it would be um, sequential. They won't, they won't just jerk you, but they will slowly let you know, and then you just add up a big bill. Now, look, they're gonna demand not just February's payment, they would demand November, December, and January's payment, right? If you don't pay it, well, you're more deep water. Uh, you're more hot water, and so, they demand it, you're gonna comply with it. 
Yon says, give me a heart. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. Who loses when you don't pay Hiko? You do. Who loses when you don't give your heart to God? You do. It's almost the same thing. There's a consequence to it. Well, you know, I'll, I'll give my heart to God when I get way older. Well, how much older is old before you give your heart to God? Some teenagers say, well, you know, I'll, I'll wait until, you know, I'll wait till I'm uh, 30s, 30s come. I'll wait until I'm in 40s, 40s come. I'll wait till I'm in the 50s. I still got some goals in my life. I still got some plans I want to go through. I still want to achieve some things. And if I really give my heart to God, he might, he might stop me. He might make me do a U-turn. He might interfere with my plans. So I'll wait until about 50. 50 comes around. And I'll wait until, uh, you know, I'm almost got, I almost got everything set. I got my retirement going pretty good. I got this going on, you know, and I'm pretty much establishing my career. And, uh, you know, uh, when I have more time, when I have more time, I'll give God my heart when I have more time. Now you turn 60. And pretty soon there's more medical problems. Now you turn 65. And then there's more medical problems. And things you never thought about when you're 30, you hit it, you get now at 65. Then you turn seven, and then you say, you know what, I think it's about time I get serious about giving my heart to God. Well, you know, isn't it kind of too late? Isn't it kind of too late to think like that? So he says, give me your heart. You always lose when you don't. Just like when you don't pay your bills, you lose. You're going to get penalties. Oh, I hate credit card penalties. I hate one time, not often we have been late on our credit card payments. Not often. I'll tell you the truth. For many years, we still pay our credit card off every month. But every once in a while, we forgot. She forgot. I blame her. <laughs> she forgot. I said, hey, what is this penalty here? Oh, for late payment. Late payment? I thought you paid. I thought, oh, I forgot. Oh, I forgot. I hate when she says, I forgot. I forgot. But now, when I say I forgot, I want her to forgive me. But when I say, when she says, I forgot, I don't forgive her. <laughs> kind of like that, you know, male and female thing. <laughs> and so, oh, and then $25 late fee. I said, what? I'm a, and I call them up. And I, whatever I call and say, look, uh, you know, check our check our history. We always pay every month. Usually, if something happened. I don't know where we travel. Whatever it was, you know. I said, can you can you talk to your supervisor and ask your supervisor, or if you can, if you have to, can you wear this this time? Because look at our history. We, we're usually good. Yes, Mr. Shane, I see that. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna waive that late fee. Thank you very much. I've done that twice. I've had two late fees waived because of our good our good history. We're never late. Never late, never late. And so, and one of the benefits of never being late is that. Now, I've had a checkered history, up and up and down. Yeah, right, this guy sees going, nah, I don't think so, I don't think so, I don't think so. You never win when you don't give your heart to God. You do win when you do. Try to see. Amen. Therefore, my heart is glad. Based on the Bible, based on the truth, I have set the Lord all before me. Because of the truth, his heart is glad. I'm going to finish with this truth. Whatever the circumstance that you may go through, just remember, gladness of heart comes because of what the Bible says, not because of how you feel. Because I feel. It's because of what the Bible says. That is the better way to judge how to feel. What the Bible says, God is always with me. Okay, my heart is glad. But I don't see why I should be glad because everything's falling apart. But God is with me. Okay, then I will be glad. But I don't see I will be glad because God's with me. Lord, if you're with me, then eventually you're going to help me work this out. The Lord says, now you're talking. Now you're talking. Well, Lord, I don't understand how it's going to work out. The Lord says, 
You think I can help you? Mm, not sure. What? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, yes, I know you can help me. So whatever you see that I, is very much impossible for you, maybe I can do better than you can? Ah, uh, maybe so. Yeah, you know what? You have done that in the Bible. Red Sea, mm-hmm. Jordan River, uh-huh, right, okay. So the Lord says, is your problem bigger than the Red Sea? Uh, no, but it's big to me. The Lord says, I know it's big to you, but it's bigger than the Red Sea. And you say, I look at your problem, you say, it's big to me, but it's probably not big to you, right, Lord? The Lord says, no, Red Sea was a big job for me, but I just, when it happened, I can do the same thing with your problem. I can make a problem fixed. Just trust me, okay? All right, Lord. My heart is glad. The Lord says, good. You should be glad because I can do it. The Lord, I don't know. The Lord is saying to you, you know, is it because you don't trust me? Why are you worried about this thing? Is it because you can't trust me? No, 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 I trust you, I trust you. Then why do you keep worrying about it for? Because, because, the Lord says, look, I'm with you, right? Yes. Be glad that is true, right? Okay. When my kids are small, driving the back seat of the car, driving on the mainland, they had no idea where we're going. They keep asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Emily, we're not there yet. It'll be about another 100 miles before we get there. Oh, okay. Oh. Are we there yet? Emily, we just traveled 10 miles since she last asked me. We got 90 more miles to go. Are we there yet? They, they're like that. Kids are like that. If they just learn to trust daddy in the front seat driving the car, eventually they're going to get there. Finally get there to McDonald's Toyland or Burger King Land or whatever like that. Remember back in the days when Burger King, McDonald's had those plastic balls you can jump in, those Playland things? No more. But that was a big thing when the kids were small. And so if they would just trust daddy to drive the car with, daddy, do you know where you're going? I do. Why are you asking for it? Because we ain't there yet. Well, I know where I'm going. I looked at the map. Well, at least mom looked at the map. So I know where we're going. Just sit back and enjoy yourself in the car seat. Oh, I hate this car seat. I know. But that's where you are. Just sit back. You got a coloring book, you got this to listen to. Just make the best out of this trip. And let me drive the car, okay. Now, when you let God drive your car, not literally, but drive your life, control your heart, then wherever he takes you, gonna be a good place, right? So, that's how that all plays out. Okay, all right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the scripture tonight, and help us to be encouraged because of what we know that the Bible is true, what it says about you. Help our hearts to be under control by the Holy Spirit and our responsibility to crucify our flesh. Help us, Lord, day by day, because we need help day by day. Not a week at a time, but a day at a time. And even less than that, minute at a time. So we pray that you help us with these matters of our hearts. May our hearts be under your control. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.